welcome to the British History Podcast. If you love British history, then you are definitely in the right place. My name is Philippa and I will be taking you through British history, the people, the events, the intrigue. Some of the stories you may think you know, but you don't know them in the way I tell them. And then hopefully I will also be able to introduce you to something new too. Now this podcast is free and it always will be. But if you would like more History Lover benefits, then please consider coming and joining me over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash British History. But for now, let's get into today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, this Thursday Tea Time Live. First time... um, that I am streaming on, where should I put this? That I'm streaming on IGTV and YouTube, as opposed to Facebook and YouTube. So um, let's give this a go then. I hope everyone is well. Um, thank you for joining me. This is if you're joining me on IGTV, this is the first time that I'm trying this on IGTV. This is my weekly Thursday tea time live. I apologize for already being out of breath. I've just run up the stairs because I forgot to get myself a water. And if you've joined me before, you'll know that I basically talk uh, for as long as I manage and you can stomach me. Um, so water is uh, is always re- necessary and required. So I hope everyone can hear me okay. Um, I think I'm mic'd up well enough. Last week I did forget to turn the mic on, so apologies for that. And apologies to those of you on the podcast who, um, by the time I put it on the podcast, I just had to cut off the obviously blank beginning, which made it sound rather an abrupt start. Um, Now, let me uh, get into this week. So if any of you are new to Thursday Tea Time Live, I just chat basically history and I am very up for you asking me questions in the comments. Just say hi if you want as well. Let me know where you are watching from. Um, Let me know where the weather, what the weather is like where you are as well, because summer has finally come to the UK in 2021. We we weren't sure it would happen. It took a while. Um, but it uh, it is now here. Well, it's a bit dull today, but it's warm. It's warm, which is nice and dry because although we have a reputation for having a lot of rain, we don't actually generally get a lot of rain, but we have this year. Uh, welcome from Argentina and Charlotte from NC. Sorry, I don't know all the... <laughs> North Carolina. North Carolina? Oh, from Charlotte, North Carolina. (laughs) I'll get there. (laughs) Right, cool. Brilliant. Well, thank you for joining me. I love this from all over the world. So this is is lovely. Now, um, before I forget, (laughs) I got it right. (laughs) Um, Before I forget, uh, whether you are watching me, hi from Indiana, Greenwood, Indiana, Oh, so what time are we on? One o'clock. So you're waking up to me, is that right? Hopefully I can kick your um, your day off nicely of a Thursday. Thursday can be a bit of an odd day, isn't it? We're not quite at Friday yet. So um, 
So it could be a bit of a, oh, come on, it's nearly the weekend. And hopefully now wherever you are, you have weekends to look forward to as well, something slightly different. I was at the pub last night. Um, hi, Sue in Essex. <laughs> um, and uh, I'd actually managed to do a clubhouse room from, um, from the pub just about 9am in Argentina. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, and uh, so that's what I was going to mention, Clubhouse, first of all. If you're on um, IGTV, then in my bio, there's a link. And in there, there's um, you can there's a, basically links to all sorts of things that I do. And the top one on there is join Clubhouse because I now have a thousand invites for Clubhouse. So if you're not on Clubhouse and you want to be, it's open now to Android users and uh, as well as iPhone users, which it's always been open to. Um, but it's still invite only. But I have a thousand, so jump on in there and, and grab one, um, and you can join me on Clubhouse. So when I'm talking about Clubhouse, you'll know what on earth I'm on about. But I let you know what we've been talking about on Clubhouse anyway. And anyway, yesterday I actually managed to do a room from the pub, which, with signal and noise, was was quite a feat. I thought. Mm. And we were talking last night about um, the curious art historian. Hi, welcome. <laughs> I was reading your name then. It, it gets squidged up on the screen. Um, so last night on Clubhouse, we were talking uh, things that didn't go to plan. Our Wednesday night room is called History After Dark. And it's one where we we take the reins off. We, we let ourselves um, talk about maybe things that are a little bit more controversial or funny or rude or, um, I don't know, a little bit less uh, polite or <laughs> maybe things you'd discuss in polite society. But last night we were talking um, <clears throat> things that didn't go to plan. And I actually, there was, I had two examples um, and uh, only one, I only managed to get in one. All our rooms are around about half an hour to three quarters of an hour. We don't go on for much more than that. Um, and uh, last night, yes, so we were talking things that didn't quite go to plan. And I was talking about the coronation of William the Conqueror. So I don't know if you know this, but William the Conqueror was um, crowned at Westminster Abbey on the on Christmas Day, 1066. 1066, we had three kings in 1066 because Edward the Confessor died. Uh, and then Harold Godwinson became king also, by the way, uh, crowned at Westminster Abbey. And then... Obviously, he lost to William at Battle of Hastings, and then William was uh, crowned at Westminster Abbey. Now, during the coronation service, um, welcome Michael from London. Um, they uh, the, 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 the whole idea that well, the, the message that William was trying to get across with his coronation service was, "I'm bringing peace now." Now, interestingly, he'd kept the um, the pretense or the, the legal pretense of the country still being at war during um, the, the, the time between the end of the Battle of Hastings and his coronation. Basically meant he could do what he liked. And one of the things he liked to do was, let's call it a preemptive strike. And he would, he would burn villages, put people to death, um, basically as a kind of warning, you know, we're here, we're in charge, no uprisings, please. 
<laughs> and I've burnt down your house just to make sure that you're okay with that. Um, so during his coronation, during his the crowning ceremony, um, the 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 this this it was supposed to be you know bringing peace. But when they when the um, congregation sort of, what do you call it when they I don't know whatever all hail the king whatever they shouted that was mistaken by his already sort of well his troops outside had been sort of used to this behavior if you like for a while they thought it was an uprising and started setting um fire to the buildings around the abbey and caused chaos and most of the congregation fled and william was left shaking and uh with only a few of the clergy left to complete the ceremony, so that did not go to plan. And that was my um, that was my example of something in history that didn't go to plan in our room uh, last night on Clubhouse. So, like I say, if you want to join me on Clubhouse, I'm there regularly with Sarah Morris, who's the Tudor Travel Guide, Catherine Brooks, who is the Tudor Tracker, and Cat Marchant, who has the Reading the Past uh, channel on YouTube. And we have a lot of fun. We talk a lot of history, but we do have a lot of fun on the way. And I think now that things are opening up, we're going to be doing more. Uh, we'll be on location a lot more. Now, you won't be able to see us <laughs> because Clubhouse is all uh, audio. It's a bit like listening to uh, a radio station or a podcast. And those of you who are joining me on the podcast today will uh, will. Um, will already be used to listening to me and my uh, sometimes good, sometimes failed attempts at describing something visual uh, with words. But I will uh, keep practicing and get better. Anyway, so a lot of the rooms, are, are, well, I think increasingly will will be on location for our rooms. And they're, they're at a regular time and then occasionally we do bonus ones. So Mondays and Fridays at five o'clock, uh, this is all London time, we have history half hour Wednesdays at 8.15pm, we have History After Dark, like I say, and on a Sunday, so you might be interested in joining me this Sunday, every Sunday at 4pm London time, we do Travelling Tudor Britain in our, it's called the Tudor History Club, and um, we pick a Tudor location each uh, each week, and it's usually myself, Sarah Morris, and Deborah Royal. Deborah does uh, the um, Tudor Times website, which looks at all things sort of Tudor and into the early Stuart era. And this week we're talking Ludlow Castle. And some of you who've joined me on my Thursday Tea Time uh, live uh, for a few weeks now, in fact, we've been doing it a few months, will know that I've spoken about Ludlow Castle uh, quite often in the past because it's a fabulous place and absolutely steeped in history. I mean, it, Tudors is just a small part of its history, but it, it, you know, it's got a massive history. And those of you who are in my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash British history, you have access now um, on the upper tiers to a full interview with Matt Lewis at Ludlow Castle, all about that history. Um, it's, re it's really, really fascinating. Ludlow Castle and the town itself um, is is a is a it's a lovely place just if you just like nice places to go but it's it's history is absolutely fascinating um michael william made a rod for his own back he did indeed and i wish they would make a film about harold in the vein of braveheart but more factual mm. yeah well historical dramas are not necessarily known for their 
factual basis, are they? Um, more and more, in fact, seeming to go along the drama side. I don't really have much of an issue with that as long as it gets people interested. I think that's the key thing for historical dramas. Um, personally, I love something I don't know anything about uh, or, you know, so I loved Versailles. Anyone who knows about the history of the French court probably hates Versailles. But I really enjoyed that because I didn't care how factually correct it was. But I watched it in that vein, in that I'm not taking anything particularly here as fact. If I'm interested, I'll go and look it up. Um, but yeah, but 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 a, but the point I think you're making there, Michael, as well, though, is if there was a historical drama uh, based around that time, then inevitably interest is pricked in that period and and you will get more people learning about it so yes that would be that would be really good wouldn't it so um around about that period though slightly later 12 15 we've got so we're in the month of june now and last week i spoke about magna carta anyone who is in my patrons all of my patrons this week get a um I've got Tudors on the brain now, a travel guide to Magna Carta. So it basically tells the story of Magna Carta in 1215 um, with some, with places to, to go so you could sort of follow in, uh, the trail of the Magna Carta. And that will be available. I've just finished um, writing it. Um, in fact, I just printed it off. Bear with me a second because I was going to show you. Now I've left it. See? Left it on the printer. Oh, it's only done the first page anyway. But anyway, any of you, any of you are in my patron, <laughs> you'll be getting something that's more than one page um, about the about the trail of Magna Carta because I, I do a weekly, uh, not weekly, monthly blog for patrons. But this week, this month, it is uh, it's the travel guide. Um, yeah, and I spoke about Magna Carta last week, and. Um, one of the things that I, I I love mentioning that uh, maybe maybe it's well known now, but the Magna Part. So Magna Carta just it basically translates to the Great Charter, and because of its uh, fame, and because we know how significant it's been in uh, you know as a basis for democracies and for um, sort of human rights activism and things like that. Um, the great, I think, is often interpreted as in it's a great, as an important charter. You know, literally, it's a great charter. But it was the original literal term of great, which is the larger charter. And it's because there were two produced at the same time. Uh, the, the Charter of Runnymede and the, the, the Charter of the Forests. And the Charter of the Forest was a smaller, the lesser charter. So Magna Carta was the larger, the greater charger, the uh, charter, the great charter. And that's why it's called uh, Magna Carta or the great charter. But it, it just, as, as with a lot of things, it became known as that in order to differentiate it from something else. For instance, Westminster. Westminster is to differentiate it from St. Paul's in the East, which was the Eastminster. So there you go, Whitehall. Whitehall Palace was a um, the the name Whitehall was given to it to distinguish it from the Palace of Westminster because oh, I'd mentioned a book last week called Houses of uh, oh Houses of Power, which is by Simon Simon Thurley about Tudor houses. Now in that I've just got to the bit about um, Whitehall, 
And the Palace of Westminster, which is where our House of Parliament uh, sits now and is actually referred to as um, uh, as um, uh, Palace of Westminster still, um, that had had a, a big fire. I can't remember the date off the top of my head. And then Henry decided he wanted to take York Place um, from uh, Cardinal Wolsey. And him and Anne Boleyn were going to create a home for themselves because all of the other palaces at that time, Catherine of Aragon was still queen. Catherine of Aragon still had her own apartments and didn't have anything. Anyway, so they decided they were going to build here. Now, when in the honestly, it's a fascinating book. Henry VIII was referring to Whitehall as the new Palace of Westminster. So it made me, I'd, I'd have to look into it more, but it, it makes it sound like what he was actually doing was thinking he was just moving the Palace of Westminster up road because it's, it's really not very far. Um, but you still have the Palace of Westminster there, although albeit in its uh, kind of uh, dilapidated state or whatever state it was in by then. Um, so it became, so then you have to have a name to distinguish it and it became known as Whitehall and then Whitehall stuck. So there you go. <laughs> Went off on a bit of a tangent, but how things are named is interesting, isn't it? Because it might have an official name, but the name we, that comes to us that we remember is the one that, um, that made sense to people. Look at some of the place names. Um, I used to work for a water company in the, in the flooding team. There you go, there's a bit of odd background. Um, and uh, we used to sort of think, oh, goodness, did people not work out when they, when they bought a house on Watery Lane? Maybe there was some historic issue there with flooding, but no. <laughs> but they are literal. Things like that are quite literal. Um Anyway, so that's coming up from patrons, for patrons. My normal uh, videos, my little snippets out on YouTube, um, I haven't been able to get them out this week. Good afternoon, Miranda. Thank you for joining. Um, and uh, But uh, don't worry, I will catch up. It's because I have been able to get out and about. Yay! And I went to meet Sarah Morris at Kenilworth Castle. Now, we didn't actually go into the castle because I wanted to go and see the site of the, um, the I don't know how you pronounce it, the Palace of Plaisance. <laughs> Probably really not anything like how it's supposed to be pronounced. But where you have Kenilworth Castle, around it was a massive lake. And it, massive. On the other side of this lake, uh, Henry V built a... Uh, this house of Plaisance, similar to how Greenwich Palace began, as a uh, non-fortified or less fortified, it did actually have a moat, house that was for, not for any political purpose. So all of the palaces and, and castles had a political purpose. They had a public, um, there were public spaces where, where people, ambassadors and convoys and I don't know, not convoys. What's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, would would be in in uh, in the place. This place of work. Okay. So so some of these. So anyway, Henry the Henry the Fifth. Sorry, set up this or had this uh, 
Palace of Pleasance built. You may actually see on later plans of Kenilworth Castle, this palace suddenly <laughs> um, uh, appear inside the curtain wall of Kenilworth Castle, the Kenilworth Castle you'd, you'd think of it as. And that's because Henry VIII moved some of the timbers from that original house to a new Palace of Pleasance. <laughs> if, I, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm pronouncing it wrong over and over again. Um, so, and, and it was moved to inside the um, uh, inside the, the curtain wall, and it, none of it exists anymore. So, anyway, I wanted Sarah to take me because she she's been there before to the site of this palace. Now, it's I don't actually know how long it took us to walk. Okay, it was a leisurely pace, uh, but it probably took us about twenty minutes to walk to the site where this uh, this this palace had been. It's more like a medieval house. Mm. Anyway, there's the plateau where it uh, where it was sited is still there with the groundwork for the moat as well, still there. But that 20 minute 20 minutes walk from where we parked next to the castle over to where it is just gives you some ideal idea perhaps um, of the size of this lake that had uh, had had been. Had, I don't think it went all the way around because there was a town on one side, but it 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 um it was at least on half to three quarters of the surrounding the, the castle. So it's it was you know it was a long way away. Michael, how much of Leeds Castle is medieval and how much is Tudor? I don't think much is either, actually, now. Um obviously it is very old, the site, and there will be parts of the castle that are very old. I've only been to Leeds Castle once, um, not too long ago, and there isn't a lot of uh Tudor and pre-Tudor Tudor <laughs> Tudor um castle left. But it's still very, very much worth going to see. Um it's a, it's it's still a it's a beautiful castle. But it's it's more trying to say I took lots of um pictures for my membership at the time. Um and I seem to because well, because I was fascinated by the 19 sort of the early 20th century in places like Leeds Castle. Hi Ali, thank you for joining me. Um and uh yeah, because the early 20th century, these castles were still occupied. And then, of course, with the advent of the First World War and following the Second World War, um, they were either, each has their own story. Um, and um, each has their own story as to how come they've ended up either empty or as a hotel or as a, an attraction. But, mm. So that answers your question. Um, I'll be, uh, oh, <laughs> I knew this would come up. Ali's asking me if I saw the Anne Boleyn show on Channel 5. I, I haven't. I haven't yet. If anyone else has seen it, um, just stick um, stick a rating out of 10 in the chat. Just put a number, 1 to 10. What do you think? I've heard that some of the portrayals of some of the characters are, I think Henry VIII is is. I haven't seen it myself, so I don't know, but I'm hearing that the portrayal of Henry VIII isn't particularly accurate. I think um, 
Jane Rochford is becoming uh, sorry is, is portrayed again as kind of this evil uh, calculated figure and that 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 she sort of always gets tarred with this brush and and it's not necessarily accurate uh you know so um no I haven't and I'm not sure I'll tell you why <laughs> I'm not overly drawn to historical drama for a start um unless it's something like I said a little bit earlier on Ali before you joined unless it's something that I'm not very knowledgeable on um uh and uh, so sorry Miranda's asking if she can have a link to watch it from Belgium um if you go onto the Anne Boleyn Society on Instagram, not right now because you're watching me, but in a bit, um, James Peacock there has uh, shared in the comments a link for people outside of the UK to be able to watch it, I believe. Um, but I can't remember what, it, what it's called off the top of my head. So if you have a look on um, the Anne Boleyn Society, he's got a post about it and in the comments he's, he's put where you can find it. Um, yeah, so if, unless it's something like Versailles, I loved Versailles, as I said, um, because I didn't know much about it. So um, it was a lovely sunny day, a uh, sunny evening, a warm evening, Tuesday evening. So I didn't watch it because I sat out in the garden instead. It felt a bit like it'd be homework. It felt like something, you know, that the teacher would set um, in, the, in that I wasn't going to watch it anyway. Um, so maybe I'll get around to it. Maybe I'll get around to it. We'll see. We'll see. Um, right. Let's move on. So um, I will be, oh, I was going to say, finish off the bit about the Palace of Plaisance. If you look, on, oh, it might have been on my story. I will share um, the photographs that I took from there uh, on, on Instagram. Uh, it, I mean, there's not a fat lot to see. But it's it's one of those. Um, well, you, you definitely have to use your imagination. But you know, actually standing there on this plateau, knowing that it was um, once used by you know by the medieval kings as a place to relax and have fun, was uh, was very moving. It's just, I mean, the cows are using it very well now. They love it. Um, oh, Michael used to work at the Warris Collection. So maybe, did you know, um, you probably don't like Versailles then, do you? What do you think of Versailles? Um, let me know. So I'm back with Sarah tomorrow because we are um, recording her uh, weekly, I keep saying weekly, but I don't mean weekly, her monthly podcast, which is about travelling Tudor Britain. Um and tomorrow we are giving, ah, Michael likes it. Good. Okay, cool. Um, we're uh, talking about traveling, uh, the best ways to, to travel using public transport. And I'm going to give you some ideas of timescales, you know, if you're trying to get across London, if you're trying to get, um, well, I need to think, I mean, what would be useful if you were planning a trip um, to the UK, what kind of things would be a, um would be useful to know uh, because one thing I always try and point out to people is we're a small country but we're congested it can take blinking ages to get um to get to places because we have traffic jams <laughs> um a lot 
So it's always worth um, worth factoring in or actually looking at travel times. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about that tomorrow in Top Tips. Miranda thought Versailles, Versailles was over the top decadent. Yes. Well, it was. It was, wasn't it? Um, Ali, should we rent a car to see the sights? Well, I'll, I will cover that in the podcast then. I actually would say, after I've just said about traffic jams, <laughs> but I would say yes to be honest. Um, it depends where you want to go and what you want to see. If you if you just want to head to London and do London, then no, there's no need. And actually, it would be a pain. It would be expensive. You wouldn't you wouldn't have to park it. Um, and it, yeah, it wouldn't really get you anywhere any quicker. However, if you wanted to do uh, somewhere like Ludlow, like I, I've, I mentioned earlier, because Deb and myself will be talking about Ludlow Castle in Clubhouse at four o'clock on Sunday, um, then I would suggest yes. Um, and then uh, have a look, plot your route and, and do a few of these more, you know, further out places because you'll get to see places that are a little bit quieter as well um, and places that you they're not serviced by public transport very easily so yes if you can manage to uh to, to drive on the correct side of the road <laughs> correct side for us um and uh, and that doesn't freak you out then yeah I, and and you're going you got you want to go to some of the more far out places then yeah i mean you've got places we've got roman ruins um and places like roxeter or upon Hadrian, you know, Hadrian's Wall at the top of England. Um, and yeah, unless you're going on an organized group tour, then um, then yeah, I think a car would be a great idea. Miranda, can I join Clubhouse too? You absolutely can. So if you go to my bio, um, then you can um, uh, click the link in my bio and you'll see the top option is join Clubhouse. And I have a thousand invites, so yes, you can go and join anyone, uh, even Android phones now. Apparently, are working as far as I'm aware. Um, <laughs> Catherine's joined Tudor Tracker. Come to Leicestershire, and I'll show you a good time. <laughs> Not sure what you mean by that, um, but there's a good. So Bosworth Battlefield. If you want to go and see Bosworth Battlefield. Again, unless you're on an organised group tour, you know, I don't know, like with somebody like um, British History Tours, then you um, you you really you need a car to get around, I would suggest. And if you're going to Bosworth, you would want to go to Leicester um, and go and see uh, Richard III's, well, where they found him. And you can also literally a few steps opposite, go and see where he's uh, finally interred. Um Catherine, battlefields and a dead king. What more could you want? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> where have I got to now? So, yeah, so traveling the UK. So I will be recording that with Sarah tomorrow. So I think it goes out in a couple of weeks time. But if you look on either mine or Sarah's um, Instagram, then you will be able to uh, see uh, when that comes out. We'll share it. And she's at the Tudor Travel Guide. Um, Michael, I wish we knew more about Flodden and the Scottish border wars. Bosworth would be great as well. I presume that's a separate, that's, that's two separate sentences. Sorry, I read, read it out as if it was one. Yeah, well, I'm sure there are people who know a lot about them. 
the thing with the with the Scottish border um, is you had stuff going on pretty much all the time as well. Obviously, we had the big uh, battles, but in terms of sort of incursions and skirmishes, at per certain periods, it's almost constant, which is why if you go up to the north of England as well, you'll find more fortified houses generally than than remain in the south. Um, and um, and that's because of, of that, because these these in, these uh, sort of incursions and then retaliations and, and, and whatever. Um, the other thing you might want to do if you're heading over to my bio link, uh, and also I've put this in the, so in the chat on YouTube, you have the link to Clubhouse and also have a link to um, my newsletter, which I'd love you to sign up to because basically it just means that I email you every Sunday, mostly, and I, um, oh, yes, Catherine, I'll tell them about that in a second. Um, and with, with links basically to everything I've done in the week and things that are coming up. So when I do get around to sharing my videos on YouTube that I've done and got to edit and put out, then uh, then it's all in the same newsletter. You've got all the links there and there. And then plus any news, obviously. Um, yes, Catherine, who's the Tudor Tracker on Instagram and on uh on YouTube, if anyone is in the UK and can get to Bosworth on June the nineteenth, she is doing she is doing a battlefield walk with Mike Ingram, which is well worth doing. And I was going to do it, and I'm a little bit gutted, but I um, basically have got my daughter into doing uh, into an archery club, so she's doing an archery course, and she has to go on particular days. So I was going to have a go, but they're full. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go at that. I think that sounds fun. Archery, very, very historic um, hobby. Um, what else have we got? Michael Henry VIII destroyed the right reavers. I don't, I don't know what that means. He destroyed a lot of stuff. <laughs> he liked. Well, he built a lot of stuff and he destroyed a lot of stuff. Jonathan Foyle, years ago, did a programme called Henry VIII Patron or Plunderer, which was fascinating because he was both, um, you know, in terms of art and building. Um, and his, uh, <laughs> Michael, is she using a £150 longboat? Yeah, obviously. No, maybe we'll build up to that. <laughs> so this is a course you can do, and the, you, the certificate you get then lets you go and um, I think then you can rock up to any archery club and you've got like a basic certificate which lets you practice or whatever. We'll do the next stage. It's exciting. I, I really want to have a go. I'll watch her for a bit and see. Let's see what I want to do. Now, before I move on from Clubhouse, if you do get onto Clubhouse, um, so like I say, uh, follow that link. Uh, that will take you into the History and Culture Club, which is one of our clubs on there. We have a sister club called the Tudor History Club. Um, indeed, Miranda, Henry did plunder all the monasteries. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Catherine's put me off now, calling, calling, doing, <laughs> suggesting we do drunk archery. I might need... Um, I might need a little bit more practice when I'm sober before I try it drunk. 
Or, I don't know, maybe I'll be better drunk. I have really bad eyesight, so um, <laughs> so anything might help, actually. <laughs> Michael, you fire a longbow using your back muscles. Well, I can do the pull-up, you know. So maybe there's something I can manage there. I actually, I would I would like to give it a go. Um, sorry, before I move on from Clubhouse, and then, so that link will take you into the club. We have a sister club called the Tudor History Club as well. Please look that up and join that. Um, and you can follow me as a person in my own right. I am at Philippa B, at Philippa B on Clubhouse. So I'd love you to come and join me as well. And then that sends you notifications when I'm uh, speaking. I'm not always necessarily speaking in my own rooms because I join other people's rooms and and sometimes put my two penneth in. But, you know, you join a room and if they're talking about something you want to listen to, you stay. And if you don't, you press the leave quietly button and you go. It's fine. Um, Michael, drunk archery, you'd end up like King Harold, one in the eye. King Harold or uh, William Rufus. He he uh, he died by a stray arrow as well, didn't he? William II. On a, in a hunting accident. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on. Um, what else did we doing in? Uh, so we've also discussed this week coronations because it was the anniversary of Anne Boleyn's coronation. Um, a much happier event in in Anne's life than is normally talked about. And we just used that as the prompt really to start talking about coronations, which is why I I then remembered the story about William the Conqueror's coronation, which if any of you have just joined, I was talking about earlier as one of those. Uh, examples in history where something didn't go to plan um and then we're and we're talking about the pageantry around around coronations we taught gail um thomas joined us from uh, british sovereigns and royals and she talked about the stone of scone now anyone who follows me um i've talked about the stone of scone and in fact i did a video about it only a few weeks ago this is the sacred uh, stone in Scotland it was at Scone Abbey where legend has that you know, I don't know from when but uh, all of the Scottish kings had been uh, crowned well Edward I um, also known as Longshanks also known as Hammer of the Scots goes up to Scotland um, takes advantage of the uh, the difficulties up there with the succession. This is all in my video, which you can you can watch on YouTube, um, and puts himself in the uh, basically he, what he's trying to do is persuade Scotland that they need to be under his control. Like Wales has become a principality of England, he wants Scotland to become a principality of England. But the Scots are not really having any of this. But one thing Edward does is steal this stone of scone. And there's two stories, well, a story and my conjecture. First one that I, I, uh, I'd love to be true, but I'm not sure there's any evidence for it, is that the the monks, hi, uh, uh, Divi, Divina, does that style, uh, in Mexico City, welcome, hi, good morning. Um, and yes, yeah, so Edward takes this stone of scone and one of the stories goes that the, at, uh, the monks at Scone had uh, basically flipped out this stone for a replacement, so not the true stone of Scone, and then and then so Edward basically steals the wrong one. But Edward comes back down to England and has a coronation chair created, so built with a shelf, 
basically underneath it there's a picture of it in the video um to put the stone of scone in now um some have interpreted that as um as uh so i've just had a, a message from my children um some of them inter some people interpret that as him hiding the stone um but when i was looking into this story what occurred to me is i've just like as i've just mentioned edward wanted Scotland to be subservient to England what better way than sticking the coronation stone of Scotland underneath the coronation chair of England that so that's my conjecture but I feel like that was a a show all right you're not going to officially subjugate to me so I'm going to do this <laughs> I'm basically going to sit on on all the all the uh English kings from now on are going to get crowned on top of the uh, the Scottish stone. In other words, I consider, as Edward I, I consider Scotland subservient to England. That's just my theory. But um, anyway, so I'll go into that in the, in the Stone of Scone video. I think I've called it Stealing the Stone of Scone. So have a look. It's not hugely long. You know me. Um, I try and introduce you to bits of history, especially bits that potentially uh, seem familiar but maybe I found out something that that puts a little different slant on it. So they're not massively long. I might start doing longer form videos um, next year and do fewer of them. But for this year, I'm sticking with the uh, with the sort of snippets. I need a better name for them, but that's what they go down in my diary as. And the other thing we've been talking about is history heists pr prompted by the uh, the. Um, theft of Mary Queen of Scots rosary beads from Arundel Castle. Um, beads along and along with um, lots of gold cups and all sorts of all sorts of things. And the real tragedy, of course, is that um, is that I mean they might have a a, a price or a, 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 someone might pay something for them for the gold or because they want an artifact. Godness knows what they're going to do with them, as we talked about last week. It's not like you can put it on display or tell your mates you've got it. Um, but the fact that Mary Queen of Scots had these beads, she took them with her. They they were you know they were with her at her at her execution, and so she touched them. They were personal. That link. And and we've lost it. That makes them priceless. It makes them absolutely priceless. Um, and we talked about other other history heists. Um, I don't know if any of you remember going back to uh, Magna Carta, twenty nineteen. I think it was someone tried to steal the Salisbury Cathedral Magna Carta. So this is one of the twelve fifteen um, copies. Although if you read official, if you read sort of more academic books about Magna Carta they don't call them copies there's a, there's a particular term um because a copy would be um an uh, almost like a facsimile a, a, an exact copy and they're not and the reason they're not is um is for a few, a few reasons one they're on parchment which is treated uh sheepskin so not every sheep is the same size and shape <laughs> sheep aren't as uniform as you as you may think um and so each bit of parchment is slightly different so the way they fit it on is slightly different 
And then each would have, um, in order to get these out quickly, each would have to go out to an abbey. Uh, in order to get these out quickly, obviously you've got multiple scribes scribing or copying um, the, the original. Then, of course, mistakes are made. So each one has its own individual mistakes on it. Welcome, Monica Chow, joining us from Italy. Um, so, so each of these Magna Cartas are unique, and there's only four of the 1215 version remaining, one at Salisbury Cathedral. And, um, yeah, 2019, someone tries to um, to steal it. Now, the, the story goes with that one um, that, I, I mean, this man was working alone. He he wasn't sophisticated in, in any way, shape, or, or, or form. It was more a... Um, I don't know. I think it was a desperate attempt. He he said that he thought that it was um that it wasn't the real document. But that's not really a reason to take a hammer to the glass. But he I mean he didn't get he didn't get it anyway. Um but anyway, doesn't obviously didn't stop him attempting it. Um and then controversially I had to leave this conversation because I, I had another appointment, but we started talking. I don't know if um, Catherine still was, but we started talking about um, basically <laughs> whether the British Museum <laughs> is just full of stolen artifacts. But I had to leave, so I don't know what the uh, conclusion of that conversation uh, conversation was. Um, uh, Catherine, he, he was claiming mental health problems and thought the copy wasn't real. That's it. Yeah, so he thought this copy of the Magna Carta wasn't real. Hmm. But if he'd have managed to get hold of that, um, like I said, there's only, it, there's only four versions left. And in fact, the Salisbury one, as far as I'm well, yeah, I think is the best copy. It's got no seal on it. The seal was lost. Um, but because they all had a seal hanging off the bottom. But this one hasn't got it anymore. But it's the most complete one as you look at it um there's two in the british library on permanent display and the other one is at lincoln cathedral on permanent display and they're the 1215 version then you will find the 1217 versions as well and that's part of the reason that magna carta survives i've gone into this um <laughs> yeah uh, i've gone into this with uh, for my patrons today um so look out for that um if you're in my patron um but yeah the, the part of the, the as I interpret it anyway, part of the reason, big reason for the Magna Carta to have survived is because King John died the uh, following year. He died in October 1216. And uh, he died of dysentery up near Newark. I shouldn't laugh, but he was an awful man. I like, there is no words to describe how evil this man was. Anyway, so he dies of dysentery, he ate too many peaches and drank too much cider on a bad tummy already, and uh, it didn't go well. Um, so uh, he dies, and his nine-year-old son, Henry, becomes king, Henry III, uh, crowned at Gloucester Cathedral with his mum's, um, what do they call it? Mm, like a small bangle, basically, like a bracelet. Um crowned at, at Gloucester Cathedral. Anyway, it would have been Abbey then. And uh, he's a minor. So you've got um, Earl Marshall and another 
man who I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. And they, they're his, you know, um, regents, if you like. And Marshall has this fabulous idea that instead of keeping Magna Carta, which by this point anyway had been annulled, erased, kiboshed by Pope Innocent III on John's request, um, what they should do is reissue Magna Carta. But instead of it being in response to the demands of the barons, they'll reissue it as a royal document. So that is why you then get a Magna Carta 1217. That is under Henry III, but at that point he's only nine or ten years old. And so it's his ministers being rather, rather, rather clever and reissuing this document. And then it gets reissued again in 1225, I think, and then again in 12, mm, later on in the 13th century, anyway. anyway so that's why you get the different, uh, um, that's why you get the different versions. Um, Hello, <laughs> everyone's got such funny handle names on uh, Instagram that I don't know what to call you, but hello, Texas. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Catherine, consensus was that we should give our stuff back, oh, give stuff back. We wouldn't like it or someone, we wouldn't like it if someone removed something from, say, Westminster Abbey, I took it abroad, you get the idea. Yeah, I mean, that... that yeah it's like do you know what I was thinking as well about this is now we have digital um and you may disagree I don't mind feel free to disagree with me but now that we have um you know ways of digitally recording items I mean if you if you go on the Mary Rose website you can see um 3D images of the artifacts you know everything you can see everything. So if that artifact happened to get lost or destroyed, we have, you know, as 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 close to real life uh, recording of it as we can. So could we not do that and return the original things? Am I being too simplistic? I mean, if they're not ours in the first place, then, um, yeah then we can only do so much, surely. Uh, Michael, when Richard Wallace collected all the artefacts, they were being thrown out into the street in the revolution. They would have been destroyed if he'd not saved them. Yeah. Well, so e again, each individual item or um, perhaps event which brought certain things to the museums would, um, it's not all going to be the same, is it? It's put across as the same. Oh, Britain just went and plundered the, the, the world and brought it back. I'm sure that's the case in some, but like um, Michael's just pointed out there with the Wallace collection, that's not the same for everything. Um, oh, apparently Dr. Cat had suggested digitalization and returning as well. Oh, I feel clever now because Dr. Cat, Cat is ever so clever. And I've just said the same thing she did. Um, Doug says only 1% of the British Museum's 8 million artifacts are on show. So there's a good um, there's a good argument for returning things as well, surely. Because these things, what what point is there of uh, it's like having your your loft full? Anyone else got their loft or cellar full? You know, like, couldn't find it if I wanted it. Don't even know it's there. What's the point of keeping it? That's how I go about doing my my loft clearance when I do it. If I didn't know it was there, it needs to just go. Um. 
Cool. Well, yes, controversial topics, but I like them. I think they're important, though, aren't they? It's an important thing to um, to think about anyway. Now, um, I mentioned that on Sunday at four o'clock London time, I'm in a room on Clubhouse with Deborah talking about Ludlow Castle. Um, we have our history half an hour, um, which is our regular room on uh, tomorrow at five o'clock. I don't think we have um, a room title. Which we will work one out. No, no bother about that. But if you do have, if you're new to Clubhouse or you're old to Clubhouse or you're going to join Clubhouse and there's something you would like to hear myself, Sarah Morris, Dr. Cat, and Catherine talk about and or join in because on Clubhouse you can come and join and, and speak to us live, um, then please do DM me um, on Instagram and let me know. Um, because we're happy to um, we're happy <laughs> we're happy to take suggestions. Uh, Catherine says it's a, a surprise room tomorrow. <laughs> Excellent. That could <laughs> I like those. It's a bit like this. This is a surprise. Thursday tea time live is always a surprise. But I've been managing to speak for fifty two minutes. So thank you for thank you for sticking with me, everybody. Um. Now, last week, oh yes, I've got some things to mention too. So last week I mentioned, and I've already mentioned it a little bit earlier on, the Simon Thurley book, Houses of Power, which I'd recommend if you're interested in Tudor buildings. Um, honestly, you, you pick up facts. I, I will have definitely forgotten 10 times more than I've remembered out of this book. It's absolutely packed. Um, oh, I just thought of another interesting fact from that book, which was about the Henry VII Chapel. Now, did I, I mentioned last week I was in London the previous week and I did a lot of filming in Westminster and Whitehall ready to do um, the history of Westminster and Whitehall for my patrons at the end of July. And one of the things that I will be talking about is the Henry VII Chapel. Now, Henry VII obviously built, it's a lady chapel, but now known as the Henry VII Chapel. And he had that built on Westminster, but that wasn't originally where he was going to have the family mausoleum it was going to be at Windsor so um but he had it moved he, he decided I can't remember the story now see I told you I forget as much out of this book as I remember it's such a brilliant book so that's Houses of Power by Simon Thurley the other one I've began to listen to because I was in the car for four hours yesterday I began to listen on audible to Tracy Borman's Henry VIII and the men who made him um, so I'd recommend that. I've only listened to the first three chapters or so, um, and it's already very good. Um, Michael says, many things are stolen from museums by those who are supposed to look after them. Mm. I, I think as long as things are looked after, but we can't. if they're not ours, maybe we can't also dictate what happens to them after. Uh, but saying that, I'm feeling that way because I know we can now digitalise them it might it maybe I'm being too simplistic but um if there's a record of it most artifacts we will only have seen in a picture yeah or, or in a video and if we're lucky we get to see them in real life I have to say I am very very happy that I saw the Rosetta Stone in real life which is in the British Museum so if that ever goes back I will be very happy that I and my children have seen the Rosetta Stone uh in in up close and personal um so anyway so those two books has the power 
and Henry VIII, the men who made him, I would recommend. And I have a podcast to recommend to you as well this week. So like I mentioned, I was driving for a long time. And um, I started off, before I moved on to Tracy Borman's book, I was listening to Single Malt uh, History, which is by Gareth Russell. It's his podcast. It's free on Spotify, Apple and Google and everywhere else you can get it. And I was listening particularly uh, or specifically to the episode on the Lusitania. Lusitania. Um, and shocking. I don't, after listening to um, to that, I, um, I don't know how come the Lusitania isn't as big a story as Titanic, other than oh, we've discussed Titanic before and, of course, it being in... Um, films and storybooks and you know it's depicted over and over again that definitely obviously helps to keep a story alive um uh, michael says people learn more about objects oh sorry studying yeah so being able to study objects in real life basically being able to handle them um does make mean that they can learn more yeah no i i, I agree that i uh, i can see that oh i think i've just i've paused on uh, on Instagram, I think I'm back. <laughs> yeah, the, the signal can start to go now because I'm going to wrap up. So so let me just recommend that again: single malt history uh, with Gareth Russell and the, uh, the 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 episode about the Lusitania because it will shock you if you don't know that story or you don't know much about it. Um, it is uh, it, it was a bigger loss of life, I think, than on the Titanic. Certainly in proportion of uh, the number of people on it the speed at which the ship went down it was i mean this is a um this was a passenger liner that was torpedoed by uh, by a german submarine off the coast of ireland in uh, 1915 uh, um with a huge loss of life and it went down really quickly he was talking about the electricity so just as an example um went out so the electricity failed 4 minutes after the torpedo struck there were people in elevators because that was the only way of getting out of the lower decks up onto deck um there were people in elevators trying to get out and the elevators stopped and that was it absolutely shocking but important and um and fascinating as well so well worth a listen um so I think that was all I have. Remember to sign up to Clubhouse. Remember to sign up to my um, newsletter if you don't mind while you're there. I only, I don't bombard you. Like I say, I write to you once a week with the links to everything that's, um, you know, any videos that I've put out and any news as well that's coming up. Um, I will start to have more news about my tours coming up soon, um, which uh, which I'll be able to share with you Um just talking interesting stuff again and if you want to join me on tour you want to join me on tour and if you don't don't worry it doesn't matter I'll still be telling you all about where we're going and why <laughs> and the stories behind it so you'll get all that still um but for now uh have a great uh rest of your day and rolling into the weekend have a great time and I will see you next week for Thursday Tea Time Live and um no, Michael's apologising for putting his strong point of view. I am absolutely fine with strong points of view. I like strong points of view. It generally means that someone's thought about what they're thinking, what they're saying. Yeah. So it's fine by me. Um, we don't all have to agree to get along. I think. 
then the world will be a lot better place. Right. So everybody take care. Have a fabulous day. I will see you all next week. And uh, thank you for joining me today. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone.